you have your copy of the Scriptures, let me encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And this morning we will be looking specifically at verses 6 and 7. Yes, we will be looking this morning at verses 6 and 7. SCUBA, it's an acronym, right? It's not just a reference to the tank and the mask and the hose, but it's an acronym. Self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. Perhaps over the past few weeks, as we have, as we came to Philippians 4, verse 4 and following, and we paused kind of settled in a little bit and thought about the topic of anxiety more broadly from the Scriptures and tried to gather a biblical perspective on worry, anxiety, and fear. Perhaps at times, over the course of the past few weeks, you have felt like you needed scuba gear to go on that deep water adventure exploring worry, anxiety, and fear. Well, this morning, as we come back to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and following, and really verses 6 and 7, as I jokingly alluded to just a moment ago, this morning is really the payoff, if you will, of all that we've been thinking about over the past few weeks about worry, anxiety, and fear. Now, let me say this, don't be afraid. That is, don't be afraid if you haven't been with us over these past few weeks, because I think this morning will also be fruitful and helpful for you. I pray that it will be. But hopefully for those of you who have been with us over the course of this consideration of worry, anxiety, and fear, you'll see the fruits of that reflection come, come out as we consider Paul's admonition in verses 6 and 7 of the fourth chapter to the letter of Philippians. And follow along as I read Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. As we consider specifically Paul's encouragement in verses 6 and 7 to not be anxious about anything and so forth, there are three observations for us to make, or three encouragements to appropriate. The first is where verse 6 begins. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Secondly, 
pray, and then thirdly, rest in the peace of God. Now, let me say once more that as we think about these commands, do not be anxious, pray, rest in the peace of God. Friends, I can't say everything that I would want to say even this morning about the issue of anxiety. That's why we've spent now five weeks reflecting on this issue. So you can go back to the website and, or the YouTube channel and listen to what we've said earlier because you may have questions as we, as we walk along and perhaps those previous sermons will help you. But as we concentrate on what Paul writes here, the first thing that we see is his appeal to them not to be anxious. It comes in the form of a command. And in light of what we have said about what anxiety is, what contributes to our experience of worry and anxiety in this fallen world, I might restate, or I would restate this brief command, do not be anxious in this way. Why use five words when you can use 25, right? Do not be in a state of distress about what you want or threats to what you want. Let me repeat that. I think we could rephrase, if we were asked to put Paul's command, do not be anxious about anything, in our own words, one way we could articulate that is, do not be in a state of distress about what you want or threats to what you want, especially when what you long for and threats to that desire are beyond the realm of the God-given responsibility that you have. Now, there's a lot in there, and again, you can go, go back, and hopefully you, you hear similar language that you've, you've been hearing. But that is Paul's command to not be distressed about these things. But this command, as we consider it, as Paul wrote it, and as we consider it this morning in this room full of people and those joining us on the live stream, this command comes to us as a broad audience. There are different individuals in this place for whom this struggle of worry, anxiety, fear is real, and it's different. And a few weeks ago, I alluded to 1 Thessalonians 5.14, and briefly I want us to go back to it because it's important for how we think about what do we do with this command. Remember that passage, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. There, Paul gives to the church at Thessalonica a picture of diverse ministry for diverse needs to different individuals. The weak need certain attention and certain guidance. The idle need a different kind of guidance, but they all need, and we should give them patience. Well, as we come to 
this issue of not being anxious, I think the same dynamic applies. That is, different people experience anxiety and worry at different levels and in different ways, and we have to be conscious of that. So if we were just to take Paul's three categories, the idle, the faint-hearted, the weak, from 1 Thessalonians 5, and ask, well, how would this command apply to each of those different individuals I think here are three ways that we could think about this applying. And perhaps you will find yourself in one of these categories this, this morning. To the idle. What does it mean to be idle about anxiety? Well, I think in part it could mean just, my anxiety, it's, it's not that big of a deal. The, the worries, they're, they're not a problem. They're, they're kind of there. Yeah, they have my attention from time to time, but it's really not a big deal. I can, I can just move on, and when it's there, it's there, and I'll deal with it, and no biggie. Friend, do not be idle about the presence of worry in your life. And I can say this with the authority of God's Word, because not only do we have this command not to be anxious, which calls our attention to the seriousness, the importance of this issue. But over 600 times, the issue of worry, anxiety, and fear is addressed in the Scriptures, which means that it is not something that is a small matter to God. It is an important issue to Him. And so we should not be lackadaisical about this issue in our lives. We should not be idle or unconcerned about it when it shows up. But what about the faint-hearted? That is, the discouraged, the disheartened. Perhaps you're here this morning and you are one who is weighed down in discouragement. Perhaps by a season of worry that you are facing right now, or you are disheartened by the long-term presence of worry in your own life. Friend, for you, hear this, do not be anxious about anything. Not simply as a command that might weigh down your heart even further. But here in this invitation, do not be anxious about anything. And as the passage goes on, here in this, an invitation from God. Hear this as the desire of God for your heart, that you would not be weighed down by your anxiety. And let's continue to look to His Word for help. But what about to those who are weak, who feel weakness in their fear. You know, based on your own experience, that you simply are in yourself powerless to keep anxiety at bay. It will show up. And you feel weak in this area. I pray that God's invitation here, the direction that Paul gives, and our reflections on it this morning will provide help and will provide a means by which you might see this morning the help that God supplies by His Spirit.
to those who are struggling in the midst of worry, anxiety, and fear. But as we think about this command and its broad application, notice also the comprehensiveness that Paul gives here. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. And you know what? When you look at the original, when you look at the Greek, you know what Paul means when he says, do not be anxious about anything? He means anything. Most literally, he means for nothing. For absolutely nothing. Be anxious. Be in a state of distress. Anything, anything falls under those circles that we looked at last week. Remember last week as we thought about anxiety, we thought about that region of God's influence. That is, everything that is under God's control, which is everything, and specifically those things that influence us, but that are beyond our area of responsibility. And inside God's region, God's area of influence, we have that area of our responsibility, those things that God has given us charge over that we are to tend to. We talked about family relationships. We talked about cultivating the graces of faith, hope, and love as being within our realm of responsibility. But even all of that falling under God's influence. Friends, when we think about those nested circles and everything in this life, past, present, and future, when Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, he means everything that falls in either of those categories. He wants us. He wants the Philippians. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, I believe God wants us to come to know in a greater way the possibility of not being weighed down by continued distress over the things that face us in any area of life. So he says, do not be anxious about anything. But, let's do a little experiment. Don't think about a pink elephant. Don't think about a pink elephant. Stop it! That's all you can do right now, right? Unless maybe you're trying to change the color or change the animal. But there, you are thinking about something else. And Paul, when he writes, do not be anxious about anything, he doesn't simply leave it there. He does not simply say, don't be anxious, and then goes on to something else. But he complements that appeal, does he not? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests 
be made known to God. And so we come to the second appeal. Do not be anxious, but pray. Now, as we think about how Paul encourages the Philippians to go to the Lord with the burdens of their heart, we see again a comprehensiveness. The, if you will, the complementary comprehensiveness to what he just said. He says, do not be anxious for nothing about anything. And then he says, with equal scope in everything about everything, which going back to that region of influence, those things over which God has authority, which is everything, but is beyond our reach, and then inside that, those things that are our responsibility, Paul here is not saying just pray for those things that are outside your realm of responsibility. Oh, nor is he saying just pray for those things that are within your realm of responsibility. But he is saying everything, whether it's your responsibility or it's something that God has said in his word, you can trust me in this. In everything, go to the Lord in prayer. Take it to as the hymn says, the Lord in prayer. But we also see this comprehensiveness about prayer in the midst of our fear, just in the words that Paul piles on. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He uses four different words there to speak about the kind of praying that he wants these Philippian believers to give to God, to pray to God in the midst of their fears, in the midst of their worries. But as one commentator has said, the real significance of this verbal richness, that is, all of the words that Paul uses to talk about prayer here, it's not in what these words necessarily say about the components of prayer, but rather about the great importance that Paul attaches to the believer's prayer life. He is overloading his appeal to grab their attention and say, as you face worries and fears in this life, it is important that you wage war against the temptation to be afraid with the prayer, the gift of prayer that God has given to us. Now, as we think about, excuse me, or <clears throat> before we think about specifically what kind of praying should we do in moments or in seasons of anxiety, I want to make two other observations about prayer generally that are important for us to make sure we get, get right or, or have, a, have a right perspective on. And the first one is this. 
that this kind of praying that Paul is directing the Philippian believers to is accessible only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is writing to a congregation of believers in Christ. And so he can write to them without qualification. Go to the Lord in prayer. We have repeatedly in Scripture the affirmation that the only confidence we can have that God will hear our prayer is because of Jesus. Think about Hebrews 4, where the writer to the Hebrews writes about the access that we have to the throne of grace because we have a great high priest. Only if Jesus is your prophet, priest, and king by faith in Him can you know this kind of access to the throne of grace? Jesus Himself made this plain with His disciples. John 14, John 15, John 16. Repeatedly He told them, ask in My name. And friend, you can only ask in the name of Jesus if you know by faith the saving work of Jesus. And I'll come back to that again. But let me just say this morning, if you are here and you don't know the forgiving grace of God in Christ, this is where you must begin to know true peace in this life and peace eternally. It is only found by faith in Christ. Go to Him if you don't know Him. But friend, if you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in Him, what a gift! What a gift that He has given to us to have access, to have the ear as Father in truth of the Creator of the universe. There is no greater gift that we could know than to have the attention of the One who holds all things together. The One who rules over all things. But as we think about going to Him in prayer in the midst of our worry and anxiety, there is one more perspective about prayer. Not only must it be associated with Jesus through faith in Jesus. But we need to have a right perspective about what prayer is. And the most helpful explanation I have come across on this issue is from John Piper in his book, Desiring God. Piper considers John 15-16, one of the places where Jesus talks about praying in Jesus' name, and links that to, shows the link about how prayer fuels the mission that God has given to the people of Christ to bear good fruit. There's a link there that only as we pray and as we pray, God empowers us to bear good fruit. And Piper goes on. He observes, isn't it plain that the purpose of prayer is to accomplish a mission, a mission of love. This I command you to love one another. 
It is though the field commander, Jesus, called in the troops, gave them a crucial mission, go and bear fruit, handed each of them a personal transmitter coded to the frequency of the general's headquarters and said, comrades, the general has a mission for you. He aims to see it accomplished. And to that end, he has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these transmitters. If you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter to give tactical advice and to send in air cover when you need it. Piper goes on, could it be that many of our problems with prayer and much of our weakness in prayer comes from the fact that we are not all on active duty, and yet we still try to use the transmitter. We have taken a wartime walkie-talkie and tried to turn it into a civilian intercom to call the servants for another cushion in the din. There are other examples in Scripture of the wartime significance of prayer. In Luke 21, 34-36, Jesus warned His disciples that times of great distress and opposition were coming. Then He said, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. In other words, following Jesus will inevitably lead us into severe conflicts with evil. This evil will surround us and attack us and threaten to destroy our faith. So God has given us a transmitter. If we go to sleep, it will do us no good. But if we are alert and call for help in the conflict, the reinforcements will come and the general will not let his faithful soldiers be denied their crown of victory before the Son of Man. Life is war. And we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Paul commands us to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance. And Piper goes on. But friends, that has a direct connection for how we think about the wartime walkie-talkie of prayer and what God is calling us to do in our seasons of anguish, our seasons of distress. When, by God's grace, we use prayer to push back against anxiety, we are engaging in the war to bear good fruit to the glory of God. Let me say that again. When by God's grace we use that wartime walkie-talkie of prayer to push back against the distress, the anxiety rumbling in our hearts, we are engaging in the war to bear good fruit to the glory of God. So that what I want to do really for the rest of our time this morning, plus a little wrap-up at the end, is I want to give to you what I'm calling prayer darts in the battle against anxiety. Prayer darts against the ba- in the battle against anxiety. And again, just like SCUBA, Self-Contained Underwater Breathing Apparatus, acronym, 
DARTS. It's an acronym to help us in our prayer life against anxiety. Now, let me, let me say this before I explain what these four items mean. D-A-R-T. Sometimes, as I mentioned last week, sometimes the worry seems so heavy that the only prayer that you can find to muster is the prayer of Psalm 119.94. I am yours. Save me. And friend, if that's the only prayer that you can find the power in the moment to pray, then pray that prayer. In everything, take your request to God. And if your request is, I am yours, save me from this distress, then let me be that prayer. Let that be your prayer. The last thing that I want to do this morning is to suggest that the only valuable prayer in the midst of anxiety is one that falls along all four of these letters. And if you don't get all of them, if you only get one of them, then somehow you've missed out. That's not at all what I'm saying. Instead, what I want to do this morning is to equip you with four ways that you can pray in the midst of your anxiety. Sometimes you will employ all four. Sometimes it will be all you can do to employ just one. But let us be equipped according to God's Word to fight with faith against the temptation to fear. So, what are the ways that we can pray? Well, first, we can pray about our desires. And I get that in part from... Well, Paul says here, what are we to make known to God? Our requests, what we want, and as we have looked at over the past few weeks, at the heart of our fear is very, very often, if not all of the time, something that we want or something that we fear may come to us and we don't want it. And so... As your fear shines a light on what it is that you are wanting in this life, what it is that you're wanting for someone else, what it is that you're wanting for the future, or what it is that you are hoping will not come to pass, what you're wanting to see not be reality. Acknowledge what you want to God. Verbalize the desires that are burdening your heart. And as you do, as you tell Him, Lord, this is, this is what I'm longing for. This is what I would like to see happen in my life, in the life of my church, in the life of my nation, in the life of, you feel, fill in the blank for the, the area that is on your heart. Friends, Sometimes, as we pray about our desires, God will expose to us where our desires, even for good things, have become too large. And we may need to confess 
that there is something that we are wanting that is even a good thing, but it has become a demand. It has started to rule our hearts, and that has shown up in how we are afraid. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, no man, no person can serve two masters. So as you pray about your desires, if it comes to pass that you see, wait a second, I am longing for this thing, this kind of life, the situation for my children. And it's a good thing, but I have no right to demand it of God or guarantee, expect that it certainly will come to pass. Confess the elevation of that desire to the Lord. But in that, we may need, you may need, I may need to ask God even to expose what those desires are that are fueling the unsettledness, the distress. Perhaps your prayer around your desires needs to be the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 139.23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. Show me my heart. And if there's something that I need to confess in this area, help me to see what that is. So as you're in the midst of your worry, let one of the things that you take to the Lord, one of the everythings that you take to Him be simply the desires of your heart and submit those to Him. But also, A, Almighty God. Almighty God. Now, when we pray, we are praying to Almighty God. But I have something a little bit different in mind here because as we talked about, the Bible's solution to its direction to our worry is that we would view our desires and the threats to those in light of Almighty God, in relation to Almighty God, so that as we pray, we need to speak back to God just a praise for who He is. And I can say this with confidence because this is how we see over and over and over in the Psalms, the psalmists dealing with their fear or establishing their confidence because of who God is. Psalm 46, 1-3 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, though the world seems in chaos and the world seems upside down, we will not fear because God is a refuge and strength. In our prayer, we need to direct our attention, not just our words, but our attention on who God is. Psalm 23.4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. 
of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 56.4 from our Scripture reading earlier. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust. But also, as we pray to and about in our prayer, praising Almighty God, we can pray to Him and praise Him, not just because of His greatness, but also because of His fatherliness, His compassion towards His people. I don't know if you heard it earlier in our Scripture reading, but Psalm 56, 8, not, or Psalm 56 not only celebrates and expresses confidence in the God who has given us His Word and His greatness, but it also reminds us of God's goodness, kindness, and tenderness. Psalm 56, 8, You have kept count of my tossings, Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Friend, the tossings of your soul in the midst of your fear are in the book of God. He knows them already. Take them to, to Him because He is great. Because He is good. Because He is loving. Because He is wise. As we pray in our anxiety, we pray about our desires, submitting those to the Lord. We pray about turning our attention to who Almighty God is. We also pray about our responses. Our responses in our fear. We need to ask for help. We need to ask for help to respond with trust and not in fear. We have the examples of the psalmist expressing confidence in God. Use those. Some of the passages that I just read and others, use those and say, God, I want to respond in this way. I want to have trust in You in the midst of this turmoil that I am in. Help me to respond trusting You. And friends, as you pray, you are expressing the pursuit of trust in God. But maybe as you pray about your responses, you're also cut to the heart. You're cut to the heart thinking about those misplaced priorities and those things that have become rulers of your heart. Perhaps your prayer about your response needs to be along the lines of what Jesus directed His hearers to in Matthew 6. Remember the end of Matthew 6 where Jesus is reminding His disciples, do not be afraid about what you will wear, about what you will eat. How does He conclude that appeal? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And as you pray about your responses, perhaps you need to confess, Father, I've been seeking my hope and joy in other things. I have not been seeking first Your kingdom. Help me. Even in the midst of this, help me. We may need to confess 
sinful responses. Sinful responses of anger that our fear has led to. Division in relationships. I'll leave this one for you to look at. It's so good, I want to read it, but for time's sake, I'm going to leave it for you to look at. Psalm 32, 1-5. through five. Psalm 32, 1-5. through five. I'll just say this about those verses. Friends, it is a reminder that it is wearisome to hold in our sin. But there is freedom. There is joy. There is release in confessing our sin. So as you think about your responses in fear and you take them to God, confess where the Lord shows you that there is, has been sin in your response. Our desires, Almighty God, our responses, but also, there's one thing in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 that we haven't captured. With what? With thanksgiving. Yes, we should pray about our desires. We should give, turn our attention to Almighty God. We should pray about how we have been responding and where we need to grow in our responses as we trust in God. But we also need to pray in thanksgiving. Psalm 3, 5-6 through I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. The psalmist could pray in confidence and with thanksgiving because the Lord has sustained him. The Lord had sustained him for another night. Friends, we can pray in thanksgiving. This is hard to do. But by God's grace, we can pray in thanksgiving even in the midst of distress because of what God's Word says about the way God promises to use even the distressing things that we walk through to make us more like Christ. So we can thank Him that He is at work to grow us in Christ-likeness. We can thank God because this is the day that He has made. Even if there is nothing else for which we can find words to thank God, we can thank Him because He has given us today. But friends, if our hope is in Christ, there's something even better than today that we can thank God for. And that is forgiveness in Christ. We can always thank God for the joy of knowing Him by faith in Christ. And there is a warning. There is a warning here. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that one of the first signs of sinful idolatry is the absence of thankfulness. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They did not honor God, honor Him as God, or give thanks to Him. And that showed their sin, and that is the sin of us all. So that when thanksgiving is absent in our lives, there's a sign that there's sin there that needs to be addressed. So, 
a part of our prayer as we fight against anxiety must be thanking God for who He is, for what He has done for us, especially what He has done in Christ. And friends, this is essential. This is essential. If we will respond rightly to Paul's appeal, do not be anxious. We cannot cut it off there. A coin with only a head or a tail is without value. We need the heads and the tail. And the head and the tail of, by God's grace, empowered by His Spirit, pushing back against the temptation to worry, anxiety, and fear, is to hear the command, the invitation, the call to not be anxious, but also, and also, fight for faith with prayer. Sometimes that is, Lord save me. Sometimes it will look like praying about all of these things, desires, Almighty God, our responses, and in thanksgiving. But friends, let us grow in fighting for faith, fighting against the temptation to worry with the gift of prayer that God has given to us. And as I mentioned earlier, this morning, if you don't know the peace that comes from knowing Christ as your Savior and Lord, this is where this must begin for you. Knowing Christ by faith. If you don't know Him by trust in Him, I would love to talk to you this morning. I will be around after the service. Be happy to talk with you this week about that. But friend, there is, as Paul goes on to write, a peace that passes all comprehension, all understanding that can only be known by faith in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before You one more time together again this morning, Father, thank You. Thank You for all that Your Word has to say to us about our experience of worry in this fallen world. Thank You, Father, for the way that Your Word helps us to understand ourselves better in the midst of this struggle. But more than understanding the struggle and understanding ourselves, Father, thank You for the way that You reveal Your greatness, Your power, Your love, Your grace against the backdrop of the worries of this life as we see those and as we see you in light of how you have revealed yourself in your word father help us help us to grow in praying in the midst of 
troubled hearts and troubled times. Help us, Father, to grow in submitting our desires to You. Help us to grow in our prayer and just meditating on Your greatness and praising You for Your majesty and also Your compassion and kindness. Father, help us to examine and submit to You our responses. Help us, Father, to ask You to help us to see where our responses have been lacking in the midst of our, our worry. Father, help us to rejoice in thanksgiving for Your goodness, for Your faithfulness. Supremely, Father, for Your goodness, kindness, and love to us in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that You would help us to grow to grow in walking with You, to grow in looking to You as we experience worries and anxieties in this life. And as we look to You, help us to grow in knowing and treasuring You even in the midst of those times of distress of soul. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.